past week, this place was abuzz with activity, with VBS leaders and youth all having a great time, I am sure. But with all the crafts and the events planned by our leaders, how could you not be excited and be all abuzz and have a great time? Unfortunately, we were not here, but from what I understand, the themes for this week were meet Jesus, know Jesus, grow with Jesus, serve Jesus, and the last, which Harriet touched on there, was to share Jesus. Now, I don't know about each one of you, but that last one, it all scares me a little. Share Jesus or make disciples. When, I, when I'm in that place, when I am called to share Jesus, I'm very nervous. I'm very nervous because I'm often worried that I might say the wrong thing. And I wonder, if I do that, I just might do more damage than good. And I also begin to think and ponder, if I do say the wrong thing, am I going to scare them away rather than draw them closer to my Lord? Frankly, I don't think I'm the only one with those fears and trepidations. So what is one supposed to do when you want to share Jesus, but you just don't know where to start? You just don't know what to say. Years ago, when I was a teenager growing up in Calgary, we had this youth pastor who just happened to be a former prison guard. So his ways at times could be just a little unorthodox. Anyway, this pastor was a great guy, don't get me wrong, and I still have the utmost respect for him. But he was, shall I say, just a little different. Let me share an example with you. We used to have this event. It was, it was called First Fridays at First. Maybe some of you from my generation were even there, because as I recall, there was different youth from all over Alberta would come. Anyway, on First Fridays at First, during the winter, we would rent the hill that is now called Canada Olympic Park. And we would go there from closing time, which was about 10, and we would get the place till about 1, 1.30 a.m. for a time of skiing. And this pastor, as I said, who was just a little different, used to, I guess the best way to say is he would try to scare people into the kingdom. As you're going up the lift, he would kind of grab you by your ski jacket and kind of hold you up front a bit and say, if I dropped you right now and you died, would you go to heaven? Well, that's one way of witnessing or challenging youth to take their faith to the next step. Just not a practice I care for, or appreciate it for that matter. I know I, for one, always made sure that I did not have to ride up a lift with him. It could be said it was not the best way to bring people to the Lord, but I guess it was his way. Today we're going to look at someone who had a much different way. Please open your Bibles to John 1. 
Before we read God's word, let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we, we draw nigh to you again this morning. Lord, as we, as we open your word, Lord, we, we open our hearts to receive your word, to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you would take all distractions away from us, Lord, so that we're able to hear from you. And Lord, I pray that you would, uh, you would bless the reading, Lord, and I pray you bless the uh, meditations of this word as well. Amen. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have received grace, in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the only one, <clears throat> but the only Son, who himself, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent spies, sent priests, sorry, and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, no. Finally they said, who are you? Give us an answer to those, to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. 
All this happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is one you will bapt- who, who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen, I testify, this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them follow and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard that what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Word of the Lord. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we begin John 1, we are introduced, as it were, to the person, Jesus Christ. You will notice that the first three words of this book are an echo to the first three words of the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning. By doing this, John makes perfectly clear to all that this man's lineage did not begin with Mary. Some speculate the reason for John not including the human lineage in his gospel. That John wanted to be perfectly clear that the lineage of Jesus begins with, well, the beginning of all. In the beginning, or before everything, was the Word. He introduces Jesus as the Word. He personifies the word similar to the way that Solomon personifies wisdom. An attention grabber to be sure. The title, the word, is shortened from word of God. as also referenced in Revelation, speaking of end times where Jesus is referred to word of God. Also in Psalm 33, 6, recognizing word of the Lord is Jesus. John now continues with that vein by proclaiming that this Jesus was there at the beginning. Now I want you to put yourself there as a first hearer. This guy, John, saying that this man, Jesus, was there at the beginning. And you're like, what? 
This Jesus is like mid-30s. And you're claiming he's there at the beginning of the world? Not only that, says John, but Jesus was not only with God at the beginning of time, but this Jesus is God. Poof, your mind is blown. As my commentary says, John is very careful to make the point that the deeds and words of Jesus are the deeds and words of God. Any reading of this gospel that omits this supreme and ultimate claim for Jesus misses the central affirmation of this gospel. What Jesus said, the works he performed, from the miracles to the mundane, are the very words and actions of God himself. If we read this gospel and think any differently than that, according to John, we have completely missed the point of the whole gospel. After that is crystal clear, John proceeds to introduce himself as a witness to this light, the light of the world. People of God, have you ever been a witness to some extraordinary event? Maybe you saw an accident, or maybe you witnessed an incredible feat of athletic ability. Well, as soon as you can, and as often as you can, you want to tell somebody, tell anybody, anyone who's going to listen, you're going to tell them, right? A couple years ago, as some of you may recall, I had the opportunity to attend D6 in Dallas, Texas. Well, there, we had an afternoon off. Well, there, we had an afternoon off. So we did what probably any first-time visitors of Dallas would do, go visit the Sixth Floor Museum, the building from which John F. Kennedy, 35th President of the United States, was believed to be shot from in 1963. After viewing the museum, we ran into John Brown, an elderly gentleman on the street in front of the building. He He proceeded to tell us what really happened on that day. Because, you see, he's one of the few who possessed first-hand knowledge. Because he was there on that day. In fact, if you pull up official pictures of that fateful day, it'll show him standing with his mom beside a light pole at the edge of the road. John has made it his life's calling to tell anyone who will listen to his story, his experience on November 22, 1963. John vividly recalls the shooting. He remembers it like it was yesterday in full detail. John recounted, I was standing with my mom right beside that pole over there, and a piece of debris from the shooting landed right by me on the edge of that very pole. Young people, put yourself in this place. It's halfway through the school year. Sorry, I'm not supposed to mention school in August, am I? Teachers too, sorry. (laughs) Anyway, 
your friend runs in and says, oh my goodness, you will not believe what just happened to me on the way here. You are all ears, right? You are waiting at the edge of the seat to hear this incredible story. Time stops until it's told. The book of John is a telling of an incredible story. That event that eyewitnesses just cannot keep to themselves, but hard to tell anyone, but just had to tell anyone who will listen. In our scripture, we have narration of the activities of John the Baptist. And frankly, his activity was a pretty big deal. It was a big event in the day, which also means it brought up questioning eyes. In verse 19, we have a reference that the Jews have sent a delegation to investigate John. Now, I'm not sure about you, but when I read this note about a delegation or a group coming to see what John was up to, I envisioned a group of Jewish citizens coming out to see this event happening. Not unlike we just had just a couple weeks ago where we all went out to Lone Pine to have a service there and to check out their surroundings and, and seeing how they did everything on that, on that big camp. In my research, however, it was noted that 71 times in the Gospel of John there is this title of the Jews. And in fact, it's not the common man they are talking about, but the leadership within the Jewish community. In short, we could call what's happening here as an interrogation into the actions of John the Baptist. This leadership group of rank-and-file religious spokesmen are, in a sense, asking John three questions. One, are you the Christ? Are you claiming to be the promised Messiah, that is, the Lord's anointed, someone who, has, who was filled with God's power and spirit who is working a saving miracle on behalf of God's people? Two, are you Elijah? This is, is in reference to Malachi 4, which taught that Elijah would proceed the Messiah. If John was not the Christ, then maybe he was an Elijah or an Elijah type. And three, are you the prophet? This again has Old Testament roots. Deuteronomy 18 says a prophet like Moses would return to Israel someday if he was not the Messiah and if he was not Elijah, maybe John was laying claim to the prophet. But in fact, John denies all three. Instead, he says he is a voice, which is a quote taken from Isaiah 40. <clears throat> a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. In this chapter of Isaiah, there is actually three voices. One to what applies here to John is the first one. It has roots which date back to the Near Eastern custom of sending representatives ahead to prepare the way for the visit of a monarch. What is required to prepare for the event of the coming of our Lord Jesus? Repentance. And that's what John's ministry was, a ministry calling folks to repentance. The statement of John does two things. He consciously does not elevate himself 
but instead shows he's a servant of the Most High. Not even thinking his identity should be known. He goes further. Untying a sandal is something a disciple would never do, even for his teacher. It was a slave's job. John states here that he's not even worthy of untying a sandal for the Messiah. When it comes to Jesus Christ, John places his status lower than that of a slave. On the next day, John's testimony of Christ goes ahead another step, or more accurately, a giant leap. When he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. While this is a huge statement for the initial hearers, it's a next step for John. You see, the previous day he merely hinted that Jesus was the Christ. Now he is very intentional about his proclamation. It is at this point that two of John's disciples leave John to follow Jesus. One might say that John's leadership skills have something to be desired. He's losing people. He's losing followers. And yet, he's not disappointed even a little. John has already said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. If that statement doesn't make your head spin, nothing will. He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. It does not bother John. His ego is not damaged. He understands his calling is as a herald to Christ. Back to the Isaiah passage, he is the one that prepares the road for the monarch that will soon be coming. In fact, this statement of he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me takes us right back to the beginning of this book. John's bold statement of Jesus' existence prior to creation, prior to the formation of anything else, places Jesus rightly in the realms, not in the realms of earthly beings, but heavenly. We have just witnessed John's way of witnessing or telling about Jesus. His role was that of a forerunner, a herald, pointing out who Jesus was and more importantly, pointing people to Jesus. Now we turn a little into the li- look a little into the life of Andrew. Andrew might be considered one of the lesser known disciples. Now be careful. Do not think I said he was a lesser disciple. I said he was a lesser known disciple. Andrew is so little mentioned that there is rare that you will find mention of him without the familial reference of his, of his brother, Simon Peter. Now, I would never discount Peter, but without Andrew, do we even have the rock, Peter? You see, Andrew was one of the two disciples from our scripture who were there with John, with John the Baptist, who was a proclaimer and forerunner of Jesus. John 1.36, when he, that is John, saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. 
After spending time with Jesus, the Bible tells us, the first thing on Andrew's mind is to tell Peter. When he finds Peter, Andrew says, we have found the Messiah. Not only that, but Andrew actually physically brings Peter to Jesus. So you understand my statement that without Andrew, we may not have the rock Peter. Andrew may be a little lesser known from some of the other disciples, but he is definitely not insignificant. Almost every time that Andrew is mentioned in Scripture, he is busy. Busy bringing someone to our Lord. Of course, we have John 1, where Andrew introduces Peter to Jesus. Then we have John 6, the account of Andrew bringing forward a boy with bread and fish that Jesus uses to feed 5,000 people. And finally, John 12, he's involved with Philip in directing to Jesus some Greeks who are searching him out. So what good is all this for the people of Bethel in 2014? Did you happen to notice that while Andrew may have not had all the answers, he did know where or who he could bring those folks to so they could find them? Andrew recognized that the best place to go was one who did have the answers, so he brings his brother to Jesus. While there was a sense of hopelessness on the part of Philip, when they are confronted with the prospect of feeding thousands of people at the suggestion of Jesus. I mean, you can almost feel that exasperation as Philip utters, eight months' wages won't feed these people. Andrew, also somewhat frustrated with the arduous task at hand, simply brings the boy who has offered his lunch to the one who could make a difference. So congregation, what's the first thing you do when you see or experience something totally amazing? Something you just can't or won't contain. We share it with those who are close, right? Young people, think about the beginning of this message. When your friend came running in late for school with the most amazing news, everything pauses. Everything pauses until you get a chance to hear the incredible story, right? Good things just have to be shared. In 2 Kings, we have this awful yet truly amazing story. There was this huge famine in Samaria. The king of Aram took his entire army and he surrounds Samaria. Nothing in, nothing out. It lasted so long, says the Bible, that a donkey's head, which was an unclean animal, one you would not eat, and the head no less, but there's not much to eat anyway, sold for two pounds of silver. And droppings from a dove, which were used for fuel usually, and if you're very desperate for food, which I just can't imagine, those were sold for two ounces of silver. Truly, truly, these were very desperate times. 
So desperate that, as Scripture says, people were even eating their own children. Elisha prophesied that within 24 hours there would be an abundance of food. That sounds pretty unlikely, doesn't it? Almost far-fetched. Well, the officer who the king was leaning on thought so too. And while he did get to see, he didn't get to taste any of it because of his unbelief. As it turned out, there were four men suffering from leprosy who became so desperate, they decided since they're going to die anyway, they would take a gamble and go into the Aramean's camp and either speed up the dying process or get food and live. As it turned out, God caused the Arameans to hear an army attacking them, so they left. Well, actually, it was a complete ruse. The army left, or more accurately, they fled, worrying about their own lives, not concerned about possessions left behind. So these four come to camp, an empty camp. After indulging a bit, they realized this news is too good to keep to themselves. So they got up, and they shared this news with the city. Now remember, these men were leprous. These guys are ostracized by their own community because of the disease they had. They would generally receive food by getting gifts or scraps. There are no scraps, obviously. These guys got nothing. They're at a point of thinking that a quick death at the hands of the enemy sounds like a good plan. Wrap your heads around that for a second. And yet, when they discover this great cache of food, they're compelled to share this good news with their countrymen. How much more shouldn't we be compelled to share with those who are close to us? Just like the student who had to share the event that just happened. Just like John in Dallas, who can't help but share the truth. We, too, ought to be compelled to share to share our news, what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now that we have been introduced to the Word become flesh, what will we do with Him? In the children's song, This Little Light of Mine, we sing, Hide it under a bush, oh no, I'm going to let it shine. How about us? Now, each of us must answer this for themselves. But do we let the light of Christ shine in our lives? Or do we actually hide it under a bush? Brothers and sisters, news this good is too good, too important to keep to ourselves. One of the first things we teach our children is to share. Maybe it's time we do that with our own spiritual lives. As I started this message, we brought up the themes from VBS. Meet Jesus. Know Jesus. Grow with Jesus. Serve Jesus. And share Jesus. Today we looked at three different leaders who witnessed or shared to others in three very different styles. You see, in the youth pastor, he used fear 
to jumpstart faith in spiritual lazy youth who may not have seen the urgency to make a decision to follow Christ. We also witnessed a truly dynamic speaker, one who called out leadership, identifying where they were in error. He also led a path that pointed the masses to Christ, knowing that by following Christ, they would leave him. He was described as a witness to that light, to the light. That light, of course, is Jesus Christ. Lastly, we observed a young man who you could say was a little more timid than our youth pastor. He chose the route of when not sure of what to say to bring folks directly to the source, as it were. Well, not knowing all the answers, he brought people to another who did have answers to their deep questions. Today, we might bring our friends to church or to a pastor or to a leader if we don't have the answers. Are all three styles the same? No, by no means. Is there only one right path to share Jesus? Not at all. To me, it's not a thing of how we share Jesus, but that we do share Jesus. At the beginning of this message, I spoke about two types of witnesses. John Brown witnessed an extraordinary event. And while many events on that day are shrouded with a veil of secrecy, he says, no, I will let it out. And of the teenager who just had an amazing experience, just had to let it out. Both could not hold it in. We all have had amazing transformations by the Holy Spirit when he entered our lives. What's holding us back? Where is, oh my goodness, you will not believe what just happened to me? While the believing of our conversion story is not up to us, the telling of it most certainly is. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we, we draw nigh to you again. Lord, you have impacted us in many different ways. Each one of us has a different story of how you entered our lives, how you have done amazing things in our lives. Lord, when it comes to the time of sharing you, we can be scared, we can be nervous, we can be worried that we're going to say the wrong thing. Lord, I pray that you would give us those words at that time. Give us the confidence at that time. Lord, help us to be bold, to tell what you have done for us. And Lord, may we also leave it to you to change the heart of those we are speaking to. Lord, we pray that as we go out from here, as we go out, Lord, that others may know us, they may know that there is something different about us. That they may know that that person has something, has something that I dearly want. May that be evident in how we walk, how we talk, how we sing, how we play sports, how we drive on the road. May in every aspect of our life, you shine forth. Amen.